Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. And good morning. Welcome to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia as we continue our show here in the month of June, getting you ready for the upcoming seasons in basketball, baseball, hockey, and maybe even some other sports. But most importantly, want you to stay safe out there. Thank you so much for making our show a part of your day. Joe, what's going on in your day today, this morning? What's happening? Uh, well, obviously, this is a, a difficult time in this country that we're in. And uh, I know we're a sports show, but I mean, we're still human beings and we're still Americans and sure. it's still uh, some very difficult trying times. I'm very proud of a lot of people that I know who are out there personally uh, having their voice heard, which is very important. And uh, I got to say, uh, it's 2020 has been a, a year so far. I mean, we are only in June and I feel like you and I need a vacation. I think we deserve a vacation. Problem is we can't go anywhere. So that's that's a problem. But uh, I'm hoping we get some sports back. And I know everyone tuning in here is watching us because they're trying to take a break from reality. That's why it's fantasy sports today, not reality uh, sports today. So, uh, Craig, how are you doing, man? Just checking in on you, my brother. How are you? Yeah, every, everything is good. Uh, you know, just kind of following along the trail here of, of sports, certainly. And, you know, following everything that's going on in, in the world and, you know, trying to uh, continue to stay positive with everything that's happening for sure. So uh, with my mind focused mostly on sports and, you know, the return, hopefully, of baseball, it's kind of, you know, where I'm at today. But, uh, you know, certainly there are some other things happening in sports. It looks like uh, the NBA is kind of inching closer, Joe, to their preferred destination in Orlando, maybe a spot uh, potentially in Disney World and even looking at some potential hotels. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be an interesting dynamic to have the NBA potentially start up in late July, maybe even in August, and play in places, essentially, that, uh, you know, people could be potentially close by. I guess that they'll have to, you know, quarantine it off and, and all those sort of things. But I've been to Disney I mean, countless times, and it just seems like there's so many people there. Well, here's a question for you, too. Uh, what is the facility like there? I mean, I, I've, I think I've seen it on TV before, but uh, this circumstance of having them all in this area, basically, what is that like? Can you speak to that at all? Do you know how many inner workings of the complex and how they might be sequestered? In Not really. Places? No, no. Okay. <laughs> not yeah. in terms of basketball. No, I mean, I, I really don't. So it's, uh, you know, kind of like your guess is as good as mine sort of thing. <laughs> on that. Well, I wasn't sure because you're Florida. I know you've been down there more times than I have. So uh, last time I was at Disney, it was a very, very expensive trip. And I remember going, there's a lot of strollers and a lot of people on wheels, a lot of kids on wheels. I'm like, this isn't super fun. Epcot, kind of fun. 
Magic Kingdom was not so fun. I can tell you, like, I, I needed well, a vacation it's different from, from adults and kids. You know, that's, yeah, that's kind of the thing. I guess. Like. Universal was fun. My kids were a little right. older, but still, I feel like that's geared towards the, the, the kids, less of the little babies and the small, you know, little toddler type. So I think that's a little bit different in terms of a, um, a situation where you're like, oh, you know, let's go on vacation. But as a parent, you know, there's vacations and there's trips. And there's a big difference between the two. And sometimes Absolutely. you need a vacation after the trip. Absolutely. I think that's that's definitely one of them. Yeah, I mean, um, Epcot is definitely like more of the adult scene for sure. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, you, you can't take the kids, you know, and not going to not go to the Magic Kingdom. Ah, you got to do the Magic Kingdom. I'm, I'm not saying I don't like the animal kingdoms. I don't I don't want any giraffes in my car. I don't you know, they have that a great adventure in New Jersey. Do you like that? Do you like when all like the rhinoceros is in your sunroof? I, I, don't, I don't understand this. To me, I don't get the appeal. I, I know people love animals, but I can admire animals from afar. I don't need them eating out of cups in my hand in my car. I'm, I just think there's a there's a line. There's a line between us and them, and I think it's okay. Well, I mean, look, like you're either an animal guy or you're not. I mean, I'm not huge in the Animal Kingdom either. We went a couple different times. It was, you know, sort of fun, but <laughs> you know, they they, they they have to be, you know, they have to be active and they have to be around also in order for it to make it fun. So that's part of it too. Yeah, that's a very big point. I do think I put that on the brochure. Craig Mish says it's sort of fun. Come to it's the Animal. Sort of fun. Yeah, it, it's not. It's not a place that we go every single time. You know, sometimes we you know, simply skip that place. It just depends on the situation pretty much. So um, other than that, we uh, unfortunately had a passing uh, yesterday, a uh, hall of famer, Wes Unseld, the uh, former great player in the NBA. And of course the coach uh, of the Washington bullets for, uh, for many years. And, you know, simply put Joe, he was a really great player that I think needs to be acknowledged today because again, uh, even during this tough time, you know, certainly we've, uh, we've lost a great one at Wes Unseld. Yeah, he's a he's a mountain of a man, Wes Unseld. Like he 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 felt like, I don't know. There's something kind of iconic about him, and it, it always felt like he was just a huge presence, not only uh, as a player but as a coach as well. And NBA MVP in 1969, 1978, NBA champion and Finals MVP, uh, Hall of Famer, great career there for him, and uh, certainly a, a sad passing as well. It's it's never happy, but it's nice to look back on his life and his career and realize how much he did accomplish. And I think that's all you can do in these kind of circumstances. But uh, when you look at some of the stats and some of the, uh, <laughs> you know, when some of these, uh, where he ranks and things like that, you kind of almost need to get remembered a little bit, you know, how good Wes Unseld was. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes it takes bad circumstances to have us talking about a player of the magnitude of Wes Unseld, but certainly one that deserves it. Do you have any Wes Unseld memories for yourself as a media person? I remember him being just very big. That's about yeah. it. Presence. A presence. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a man, you saw him on the bench or you saw him, you're like, that that's a that's a that's a dude right there. <laughs> that's that's pretty much what I remember. And again, at a time in terms of coaching in the NBA where guys were just kind of going back and forth, it was like it's it felt like in the NBA it was the same 40 guys every year. It's like if Bill Fitch got fired, he ended up a coach somewhere else. Right. If uh, Westfall was fired, he ended up a coach somewhere else. Uh Cotton Fitzsimmons, like it's like Guys just moved around a lot. Mm -hmm. Musclemen, it just it, it didn't feel like any new blood was in there. And then over the last twenty years, they of course have uh, you know changed quite a bit. So you know that's uh, you know sort of my take on that. But a great player nonetheless for sure. Uh, were you disappointed to uh, to hear that Rob Gronkowski lost his championship belt, Joe? I mean that was a, a really devastating thing that happened a couple of days ago. No, and I know post WrestleMania, I did talk about it here on the program. 
Uh, no, I, I'm not upset whatsoever that he lost that title. I was devastated. Title. Very I upset. I know you were. Uh, Ron Killings had a really funny promo that he cut a couple weeks ago on Rob Gronkowski talking about how he's going to get his championship back. I'm going to come after you, Tom Brady. He was saying and his whole character is kind of not the brightest bulb. So that's, you know, <laughs> he kept he kept basically cutting a promo on Tom Brady instead of Rob Gronkowski, which was very funny. And uh, Rob Gronkowski then cut a little promo of his own a few weeks ago. It was terrible. He did this whole stupid eyes in the back of my head thing. And he took his sunglasses off and turned them around. I was like, oh, man, that's just that's not good. Like somebody should have told you, Gronk not a cool promo like you, you don't look tough you look kind of goofy doing this but he doesn't care he's rob gronkowski i want the titles on the shows that's what i want so uh r-truth aka ron killings gets the belt back which is good now rob gronkowski can focus on other things like water sports you know i i assume football at some point but uh, you know knowing gronk it's probably like third or fourth. This was like sort of set up here because football is uh he's gonna have to go to training camp he's not gonna really have time to defend the title right. so you know, it kind of feels like that's the way it was supposed to go. Look, you know what? Rob Gronkowski is living his best life. Is the one thing we could say about him. That's I have sure. no idea what to expect out of him after a year off. I'm not going to be drafting him. I can tell you that much. I can understand the people who who are going to try to take one more shot on him. I see the tight end position being deep enough where he is right around like that 13 or 14th tight end. I'd rather take a shot on guys like Noah Fant than Rob Gronkowski. I just don't trust where Gronk is at at this stage in his life and his career. But who knows? It could be a, it's either going to be one of the great stories ever or it's going to completely implode, I think. I don't know if there's kind of like a mediocre Tampa Bay finish this year. I don't, I don't see that. Could could uh is could somebody have challenged Gronk as the 24/7 champion uh at uh, the Buccaneers stadium yes. during a game I I thought during that's where they were going item. with this. Yeah. I thought Me at some too. point that sounded like that. Um, maybe, you know, at some point during a game or post-conference of a game, maybe that all of a sudden here comes our truth or somebody else. Pins Gronkowski right there on the media table. Next thing you know, championship changes hands. Uh, but I guess the NFL probably put a, a kibosh on that. It did change hands in Fox Sports Studios, though, once. One of the announcers won it. I forget what the announcers were really? for. But yeah, they, it's been around, my friend, for the last couple of years. It's certainly been around, so... It's right. not their best belt, but it's comic relief. I mean, is there a way that he could do like a 14-7 belt? Like instead of 24? <laughs> like just now, defend it for a lot of the day, but not the whole day? Nope, nope. He's got 24-7 it is. But Gronk's got a whole, I think, one-year contract with WWE. So I'm sure this is not the end of Rob Gronkowski showing up on wrestling programming. I would, I would guarantee that that is not the end. All right. We've seen, uh, you know, baseball uh, cancel international games. I'm sure, you know, the NBA will as well. But college football is the one that was next. They've decided to not play uh, their game this year in Ireland. Notre Dame will play Navy actually in Navy at their home field in Annapolis, which is kind of rare. Um, I, I don't you know, and, and I know that the NFL in London is, is obviously that's that was the big you know thing in September that you know obviously a lot of that had to be eliminated but I, I really don't foresee any international sports here probably until there's some sort of vaccine I, I can't imagine that they would even risk any kind of travel like that yeah I would tend to agree with you I think international you know World Cup soccer things of that nature I think until everything is settled down and until there are vaccines and more scientific medical uh, institutions in place for COVID-19 and then you'll see things start to open up again. So uh, it's uh, it's unfortunate because I do like the globalization of the NFL. I know some people don't like it. I think it's great. I told you I've been on the London podcast a couple of times with the NFL. They love NFL football out there. They love American football. They can't get enough of it. And uh, and that was shocking to me a couple of years ago. I thought it was kind of this thing that we sent over and people don't like it. <laughs> they were just shoving it down their throats. The opposite. They actually have really enjoyed it. And I think the fact that it is just once a week 
it's a lot easier uh, than baseball is. You know, like it's just not culturally a thing in Europe where sports is like an everyday thing. Sports usually happens for a period of time and then there's a little bit of a break or you have a game and then a couple days off and whatnot. But that's why the NFL kind of works because you can have that standalone game once a week. And I do think in our lifetime we will see a franchise in London. I think that's a lock personally. I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's a possibility. I mean, I don't know, you know, about a lock. They would have to probably start a new franchise. A lot of logistics would have to be worked out as far as uh, playing games there because it's quite a bit far from the West mm -hmm. Coast. But I, you know, I certainly think it's a possibility. We know that they're trying to grow the game in that way. And it makes sense because they're playing so many of those games there. But, um, you know, uh, right now, with based on the way that the world is, it's hard to envision it. But, yeah, five, ten years down the road. Um, certainly a possibility. Um, you know, it's funny. We I've been making some references this week because Tiger King just kind of came and went, and it was like the hot thing for us in March and even into April, and then it was like gone. Like it was just like, like everything else. It's the hot, shiny new toy, and then all of a sudden we're not talking about it anymore. And I think in this particular case, it's funny that we have a story on the Tiger King. Yesterday was reported that uh, Carol Baskin was granted Joe Exotic Zoo in Oklahoma. And so, uh, you know, Joe Ranieri and I spent a lot of time on the Tiger King, Joe, in uh, in March and even into April. This is a really big story for people who are fans of Tiger King, I got to tell you. I mean, when they, when they do their next movie with Nicolas Cage or documentary, <laughs> this, is a, this is a big deal here. Jeff Lowe's got to <sighs> leave the zoo. Oh, man, let me tell you, it was uh, a <laughs> little Carol Baskin news always makes you smile, I guess. Uh, but yeah, you, you asked for more Tiger King and you got it. So look at this. I thought of you immediately the first time I saw this news in the morning. So there you go. So you got a little taste yet there again. It is. All right. We'll uh, take a quick time out on fantasy sports today. This day in fantasy sports and birthdays are coming up next. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Have you written a book and need some insight into what comes next? Or are you passionate about cooking and want to know how to make it your career? Or maybe you just want to hear insider stories about the entertainment industry. Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. And on our podcast, Two Guys from Hollywood, we bring our expertise to the table with, of course, delicious cocktails and all kinds of recipes for you to try at home. So grab a drink and join us. We've got a wide range of celebrity guests and Hollywood insiders to discuss pop culture, publishing, and entertainment. And we'll provide you with an unfiltered and sometimes brutally honest show about Hollywood. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. It's the 3rd of June, 2020, as we get you ready for the day in sports. I mean, this is just 
a huge day in uh, in sports history, Joe. We have all kinds of tennis, baseball, basketball. Of course, we're closing in on the Belmont Stakes for a lot of people who are into horse racing. People think the summer is slow, but there is a lot going on. No, there absolutely is. I'm kind of happy that we're past the horse racing portion of these. Man, oh, I we're not right even close. We're going right oh. into Belmont now. Oh, no, no. I, we did all this already. This was my whole life last month. I thought we were already moving past the horse no, race. Oh, we're going Stay right into it now. Stuff. Triple Crown Challenge. We're here. Oh. Belmont Stakes. All right. I'm going to try to pace myself here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like riding horses, Mish? You a horseback riding guy? Like... On vacation? Not, not really, no. But I'm I, I used to be, you know, I used yeah. to go to camp. We used to ride horses. I mean, yeah, yeah you, you went to horseback riding camp, or was it camp and there was horseback? It was riding? a camp and there was horseback riding. Wow, so it was like a regular like summer camp, like a meatballs yeah. kind of summer camp kind of thing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> wow. I not, sleep, not sleepaway camp, but oh, I thought this was like a sleepaway, you know, like camp uh, Craigie Mitchie. Or something no, like you, that. you know and, what? I've never been into sleepaway camps. My kids don't even really want to go to sleepaway camps. Well, I mean, they're some, missing some out, people man. love it. So, man, yeah. I we, I used to go to the Williamsport baseball camp. Man, sleepaway two weeks as a kid. It was great. Two weeks without parents, just baseball. You're out there in the middle of Pennsylvania, just playing ball every day. They feed you. They give you ping pong and pool and slushies at night. And baseball cards. I mean, what more do you need? I don't know, but. I don't know if sleepaway camp is still like a big thing now. Like, I feel like the world has changed a lot. I guess that's still around. I mean, your kids are a little older than mine. Is that something that like their friends still go to and stuff like sleepaway yeah. camp? Yeah, they definitely have them. Yeah. yeah. In, in upstate New York, Massachusetts. Yeah, I feel like they definitely have them. Now, look at that. Maybe you and I will go to camp. We'll, we'll, we'll have a camp outing, you and I. Well, there's those adult sleepaway camps they do now where there's drinking and water sports and things like that. That sounds like fun. You and me, Craig Mish, what do you say? Yeah, I mean, I've heard. I think I've heard of those before. Before yeah. they're called like booty calls, I think, Joe. Oh, I, I. Well, look, you could be my wingman. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> I have to talk to the wife. See if she'll go. For it. <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, yeah, let's get to it. All right, this day in fantasy sports history, we start off 1972. Billie Jean King wins uh, the French Open, her only French Open uh, victory, and of course, uh, you know, certainly Billie Jean King, uh, Joe, part of you know, arguably some of the most controversial and best tennis that we've ever seen on the women's side. It certainly opened up the door for women's sports a lot more than anybody could have imagined. An incredibly important figure in women's sports, incredibly important figure just in American culture. And, uh, you know, Billie Jean King is one of those people that way ahead of her time. You're thinking this is like the 70s into the 80s, too, when she was fighting these fights. Um, it's Look, it's it's funny. It's It's good to remind ourselves you know, sometimes these fights have to be fought and, and to see how far we've come and see how much work there is still to be done. But Billie Jean King certainly one of those uh, very important uh, cultural figures that crosses over from the world of sports into American folklore. Yeah, no question. All right, 1980, we're getting closer to the uh, baseball draft, so let's hit on Daryl Strawberry here. Uh, first pick <laughs> overall for the Mets in 1980, and, you know, certainly I would think that as a member of the Mets in 84, 85, 86, even 87, uh, you know, his career didn't end the way that a lot of people thought it was. But when he played well for the Mets, he was pretty much an unstoppable force. He looked like he was going to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, it was one of the easiest swings you'll ever see. A guy that had all the talent in the world. 1986 going to Kings Plaza Mall for an autograph signing. I want to say at Walden Books or something like that. Right. right. My dad and I waited online. It was from like 9 to 12 or something like that. Well, Daryl didn't show up at 9 o'clock. Let's put it that way. He, uh, he showed up at about 11, and he left at about 11.45. And oh, uh, needless to say, I did not get my stuff signed. 
And ever since, I've had kind of a, a sour taste in my mouth from the strawberry. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah, that's rough, man. <laughs> I mean, that you know, that happens a lot with yes. athletes, too. It's like you set yourself up for fun, and it ends up being disappointing. Well, when you're a kid, it's different. You know, like when you're a kid, you're like, oh, cool, we're going to meet Daryl Strawberry. And then you're waiting there for three and a half hours, and then you're like, oh, Daryl's still not here. Daryl's still not here. Oh, wait, Daryl left. <laughs> like, the the really? best are those people that are right outside. They're like, oh, he's going to be here in five minutes, five minutes. Oh, yeah, just like, just wait, know. everybody. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's coming in right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame. I, I hold no, no ill kid, regard. No kid should have to, have to go through that. I know Daryl was out there having a good time. So, uh, you know, I, I don't hate on him. But again, disappointed, Daryl. Daryl, if you're listening and watching the show, I'd love you to, to sign your rookie card from 1983. That'd be nice. That's it. All right. Uh, right after 1980, uh, we had a nice stretch of first round picks that we talked about actually on yesterday's show. In 1991, uh, the Yankees draft Brian Taylor overall. And we've spent some time on Taylor earlier in the week talking about draft picks. Everyone thought that he was going to be the next great Yankee pitcher. But, of course, he got in a bar fight, and the rest is history for him. Yeah, I mean, one of the more bizarre stories, so unfortunate. And uh, I have the card. I know you do, too, the very coveted Brian Taylor number one draft pick card. And, gosh, did he even pitch at all in the minor leagues? He did, right? I was, yeah, I he just, what he just wasn't were. the same. Yeah, well, he how are the shoulders. Were, were no, the, horrible, did he horrible. pitch before the the incident? I can't even remember. I mean, this is going um, back a ways. I think he may have, like, very briefly. Yeah. yeah okay. One of those things where you know, like, they draft you and then you play a little A ball or something like that at the end of the year, and then you know, and I don't remember the timeline of him getting hurt. I just remember him being that thing, and the next thing you know, all of a sudden, boom, breaks the hand in a bar fight. And that's to be a lesson, everybody out there. Don't get into fights. You know, especially with your pitching hand. Don't get into fights with your pitching hand. No. Bad idea. Uh, 1999, the Utah Jazz get their NBA MVP in the name of Carl Malone. Of course, Malone went on uh, to get into the Hall of Fame, never got that coveted championship, but certainly we saw in the last dance just how important that was, that Carl Malone uh, title for the Utah Jazz. And Carl Malone, also a crossover wrestling guy, spent some time in WCW as a I tag do team partner. That. I with, do uh, with, that. Yeah, a tag team partner with uh, Diamond Dallas Page and uh, against Dennis Rodman and Hollywood Hogan. I was not the biggest WCW guy, but uh, I do remember that. Uh, oh, I don't know what you'd want to call it. It wasn't quite wrestling. It was a show, that's for sure. But uh, There was a few years where that was really popular, though. Yeah, the WCW. weird crossover things. Yeah, oh, WCW had their, their run in 1990, well, 1997, 98, and then right. by about 99 happened. That's when WWF at the time still kind of took over things again after that. But... Great player, Carl Malone, and uh, again, unfortunately, probably would have won some titles had he not uh, been in the Jordan era. For sure. Interesting interview with him, by the way. Uh, I saw recently about him talking about everything. He did get happened. one at the end with the Lakers, though, right? Wasn't he on one of those Laker teams at the end that won? Uh, Brett, I, I don't Brett, know you're about our that. basketball savior. Can you verify that? I'm no, not sure they about lost that. to Detroit. Oh, yeah. Goodness. I was going to say, I didn't think so. I thought I he remember and Gary on Payton went up, and Gary Payton, too, and I don't think either of them won it. Yeah. That's a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bummer. All right, good news for Carl Malone. Oh, bad news for Carl Malone. <laughs> okay, 2018, Steph Curry hits nine three-pointers in an NBA Finals game. This was against the Cleveland Cavaliers a couple of years ago. Certainly worth mentioning, and hopefully uh, Steph Curry is is you know healthy enough to continue the NBA season. Tennessee Sports birthdays for June the 3rd. Let's start off, Joe, with Billy Cunningham who a uh, Hall of Fame player with the Philadelphia 76ers. Little known fact is that Billy Cunningham was uh, involved and a part owner of the Miami Heat 
when the Heat oh. first came into uh, existence. He was a part owner, and then the team got sold to Mickey Arison, who everybody knows right now. But Billy Cunningham was an original owner of the Miami Heat. He helped get the Heat into the NBA. I did not know that. See, even I can continue to learn things here on this program. We're educating, we're entertaining, we're everything. I'm so proud of us. That's that's actually fascinating. I did not know that. Yep. Uh, Hale Irwin, uh, 1945. Hale Irwin was a very good golfer on the PGA Tour, but he made a lot of his money on the Senior Tour. He was absolutely phenomenal for about a two- or three-year period. He won, like, every single one of those tournaments. And so... Uh, there was there was two kind of levels of golf, Joe, at that time. It was, hey, look, you, you can play on the PGA Tour, but don't forget, when you're done, even if you're not very good on the regular tour, you head over to the seniors and dominate. That's what Hale Irwin did for a long time. Yeah, I wish I had more to contribute between Billy Cunningham and Hale Irwin. You know, those some days where you're like, well, this is not the easiest birthday uh, day. This is that day for me. I'm uh, I'm basically kind of at the mercy of of your tidbits here on these people because, uh, I mean, I, I could tell you a little bit about the next guy, but – uh, you know, it's it's not my sport, unfortunately. It's just uh, it's just not. I, I like to play. I'm not very good at it, but uh, I like I like it. All right, fair enough. Uh, nineteen eighty six, Rafael Nadal, one of the great tennis players in the last twenty years. Ironically, amazing in the French Open on the clay. Still pretty good everywhere else, but for some reason, it's so it's so strange that uh, you know, in all sports, you have. You know, certainly in, in football, it's always, you know, a 50-yard field. In baseball, the fields and uh, dimensions are different. And tennis, you're essentially playing on all the same surface, more or less. It's either grass or it's the hard court. But the French Open poses always something so interesting because of the clay and, you, you know, the sliding back and forth. And for whatever reason, this was Nadal's niche, and he won multiple French Opens. Uh, I'm a city kid, so I've only ever played on the hard courts. Uh, have you ever played on clay or, or grass court at all? Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I don't think I've ever it's, seen it's, one. It's possible. It's not clay, but it's it's possible. I, I yeah. think there's there's a chance that I have in Bradenton, maybe, where they have the tennis academy there. I used to play there. So you see, my problem yeah. younger when I when I was ever trying to you know play. My dad loved tennis, so he would want to go out and play tennis sometimes, and I would always go hear him because I'm good for anything there. Yeah, let's go out and play some tennis. Sure, it sounds fun. Just want to hang out with dad anyway. And I just, right. you know, no, no good. Cause I always wanted to, you know, baseball swing the tennis ball. Not a good, not a good look. A lot of, a lot right. of outs, a lot of a things. A lot like different, but, but anyway, thanks for that contribution there. All right. I told you I got nothing today. I got nothing. Really? I mean, the show 19, about nothing. 1986. <laughs> and, and here is the photo that's pictured Al Horford, who ended up winning an NBA, uh, excuse me, a college basketball championship with the uh, Florida Gators played on some great teams with them and then has, has really carved out a great uh, career in the NBA. You know, the one thing about the NBA is that, yeah, I mean, some of the guys who are under six foot eight, six foot seven, when they lose that step, it's really hard for them to keep up. But the big guys can continue to play, and Al Horford has. Yeah, uh, also born in the Dominican Republic. A lot of people don't realize that about Al Horford. So, um, look, you, I think you nailed it there with him. And uh, obviously a guy at the age of 33 now. Still uh, still going out there and going strong, which you, you got to respect to anybody still out there and, you know, going and continuing to uh, play the game that they love. Uh, how many years do you think Al Horford has left? Not many. Probably one or two. But, yeah. Uh, but he's had a really long career, I think, more uh, longer than people would have expected. So uh, hats off to him. And then uh, 1994, not a, not a great uh, baseball day for birthdays, unfortunately, today. There's some 80s guys, I think, that people would have not heard of, so we didn't include them. So sorry, 80s. Uh, but Harrison Bader, born in 1994, he's, you know, kind of along the long lines of uh, St. Louis Cardinals, Joe, that, you know, come up 
and and you don't really know a lot about them. They start off like a house on fire, and then all of a sudden they just sort of slow down. So it's mm. it's kind of strange how that happens. But the Cardinals are always able to find the pitching prospects end up sticking. But a lot of times they're hitters. They come up, they yeah. show a lot, and then you're like, wow, this guy's going to be great. And even they sign extensions with some of these guys too. But uh, you know, Bader kind of fits that category, I think. Yeah, Grichuk, Piscotty, just to name a couple. They've got a couple other guys right there. I'm hoping that Carlson breaks that mold, but we shall see. Yeah. All right, uh, those are our birthdays for today. We'll take a quick time out here on the show. Joe and I will be right back. Make sure you like and subscribe to our show on YouTube. Set your notifications to on. We're back with more Sports Grid right after this. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hey, everyone. It's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. I'm still on my own journey, but I want to be transparent with you because as I was posting all the highlights of my life on social media, I was breaking down and too many people fall victim to the picture-perfect image of the high life, so I created a space to discuss the good and the bad. We can laugh, man. We, we gonna learn, and most of all, I hope to inspire you to go on this journey with me to better mental health. This is going to be your church, your turn up, and everything in between. So join me on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, a safe space for every kind of person. Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Craig and Joe here back with you as we get ready for the Major League Baseball draft coming up one week from today. And uh, certainly we'll you know have some coverage of it here on uh, Sports Grid. It does affect fantasy. Certainly we're going to see some of tomorrow's players get drafted. And uh, my podcast, Swings and Mishes, I had the Marlins director of amateur scouting, DJ Spillick, on that show. Those of you who are interested in sort of the Marlins perspective as to what they may do, they pick third overall. You can check that over uh, on iTunes. But uh, certainly, uh, Joe, as we talk about the draft and we're going to take a look at another division in baseball and the history port of view, it's, it's such a mixed bag for baseball. And it really made me happy to hear uh, DJ Spillick say that the Marlins in particular uh, fought for 10 rounds in this upcoming draft because, you know, simply put, they didn't believe that five was enough. And I wish that more teams would have fought harder, but it just simply isn't as important to some teams. You would think it would be, but uh, more important to the teams that really need to build through the draft as opposed to a team like the Yankees or the Red Sox or another team that could just go out and buy a player. Yeah, well, this is also the beginning of the stripping down of minor league baseball. They're taking advantage of a scenario, the owners, and uh, I can understand why they are. I I do. I know we got into it yesterday a little bit. I do believe that there's some redundancies in minor league baseball of 
several different A ball classes and things like that, that maybe we can get to an A ball, a double A, a triple A. And I think that that is enough at this point. There's also independent league baseball. There's so many other avenues now and college baseball has really come on in the last 10, 15 years uh, and really high end level instruction, high end level player development there where these kids are getting to the major leagues and cracking in two years sometimes, or even less. So uh, I think that's part of this. Now, uh, was it going to go all the way back to 40? Was it 40 rounds, right? That was originally? It it depends on, yeah, I mean, it's 35, 40 rounds. So, I mean, if you can get back into the high 20s, (laughs) I think that is... That's something that the MLBPA will be happy with. Uh, I'm surprised. I don't, they I don't think that that's going to happen, but I, I don't. I don't think so either. But man, it's it's crazy to think it's all the way down to, you know, five. <laughs> like that's that's kind of it's almost absurd the number. I mean that that's the thing. And I get it's a weird year, and I get there's not going to be a lot of cuts and evaluations of players and talent and things like that. But uh, hold your hats because if you're a dynasty league owner, he's going to get wacky in the minor leagues in the next two years with the labor union agreement. Yeah, coming I don't. Out I don't think that you'll feel it now. I think that it'll be something that you feel in a couple of years. And uh, and really, the, the reasoning for uh, the cutting of the draft, Joe, is really has nothing to do with the scouting. I mean, a lot of the scouting is already done. You're just putting your final development together in March, April, and May. I mean, you already know what you know about the players. You got to start a year in advance. It's a really uh, intriguing dynamic as to what's going to happen. Um, especially next week. One other element of the discussion that is certainly interesting is that after the fifth round is over, there's going to be this brawl for all of the other kids who didn't get drafted. And I thought that it was going to be sort of like the NFL draft where uh, teams are going to be on the phone and just trying to convince the kids. And I think that there is an element of that that's going to stay and going to be involved in baseball this year. But it's more so it's not convincing them to sign with a specific team. It's convincing them to sign at all. Because mm-hmm. what really is twenty grand to any of these kids? Well, I mean, it's an opportunity. School, it. It's high an opportunity school, to get it. in an organization. That I think that's what they look at it. It's the opportunity. Do you want to take the shot of trying to get in an organization and trust your talent? I think that's what it comes down to. That's about it. Not in high school. Not in high school. No, in high, high school, school, I don't think. I in, think you're going to have in, some fantastic college baseball next year because <laughs> you're going to have a lot of the high school it kids. Could be, but go yeah, into college. Colleges. A lot. I don't. I think that. Yeah. I mean. The winner's college op- opportunity and competition. I mean, that's that's going to the be- winner is the college world series in all this. That's the winner. I think we could say that. And and we're going through some of the winners in major league baseball history. Uh, some of the best drafts for every single team. And yesterday we did the East of the American and National League. And today we're going to do the Central. And today, Craig, we're going to start with the Kansas City Royals, who just like Mike Schmidt and the Phillies. Second round is where you get George Brett. Not a first round pick, ladies and gentlemen. So every team passed on George Brett. And then the Kansas City Royals took him in the second round. He wasn't the only guy that they took. They also took Mark Littell and uh, Steve Busby, who were who were contributors to those teams. Uh, we're talking about some guys with some all-star appearances. Um, we're talking about Littell, who's a reliever in a four-year run with the Royals and the Cardinals. Stayed 52 games over that span. Uh, and also uh, Busby was another guy who was able to contribute. Uh, also in the June supplemental draft, they got John Waffen, who actually later on became a manager. But it's all about getting that primetime, all-time great player George Brett was transformative for the Kansas City Royals. And I mean, I know they had their run a few years ago, back in 14 and 15, but at the same time, those Kansas City Royal teams with George Brett were about as good as it gets. And they were just going there every year, fighting the Yankees, fighting the Phillies, fighting some big time teams. So uh, you could say 1971 was probably the best draft for the Royals. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I mean, having Brett alone was great. I mean, Busby, I had heard of. I don't know a lot about Mark Liddell, Littell, but, um, you know, certainly I can recognize how good that draft was. And, and look, the Royals, even through the years into the 80s, into the 90s, they did a really good job. Um, their 
basically rebuilding through their drafts right now. It's taking a little bit more time probably than they would have wanted to. But uh, Kansas City is never going to be a big market ball club, and this is the way that they did it, and this is the way that they're going to have to do it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I remember Alex Gordon was supposed to be the next George Brett. I remember when that was coming through, and he never quite became that. He was a very good player, but a big contributor to those teams in 14 and 15 Absolutely. with Osborne, Moustakis, and Lorenzo Cain. All homegrown uh, players there. Yeah, yeah, and those those players were fun to watch. It was an old-school brand of baseball they played. They were they were not just, you know, trying to hit home runs. They were moving guys over and kind of playing National League Baseball in the American League, which is something a lot of people weren't prepared for. Uh, but it was successful for that run there for a couple of years until – money crept in and they couldn't afford anybody and then they had to blow it up uh 1976 draft for the detroit tigers you could say was their best one get this hall of famers alan trammell and jack morris trammell in the second round morris in the fifth uh right-hander dan petrie also in that draft as well as outfielder steve kemp but uh we're talking about obviously whenever you can get a hall of fame shortstop and a hall of fame pitcher in the same draft uh, morris was taken in the fifth round trammell in the second 10 all-star appearances between them, plus we all know 1984, that World Series. So when you can get not one but two Hall of Famers in the same draft, that is a stunning achievement, I think, by any scouting department. Yep, and uh, Lou Whitaker, you know, shortly either before or after that, I mean, it had to have been right around the same time, I'm guessing. But Shortly after, I believe. I'm Pamela almost positive. Whitaker more or less yeah. played uh, around the same time. And um, Yeah, I mean, look, those uh, those Tigers teams are finally getting recognized now. Um, you know, Trammell, not a Hall of Famer. Now he is. Morris, uh, not a Hall of Famer initially. Now he is. And then the last one is is Lou Whitaker. And, and how he's not in the Hall of Fame is really uh, un unclear. I'm not sure. But I do think that he'll eventually get in as well. Yeah. And uh, fun fact, uh, they were unable to sign their seventh round choice that year. Uh, young shortstop by the name of Ozzie Smith. So could you imagine that draft <laughs> if it had been Ozzy Smith, Alan Trammell, and Jack Morris? Uh, that's quite a haul right there. I don't know who would end up playing shortstop. Uh, I mean, then Lou Whitaker the following years. I don't know how that would have worked out. But still, they did draft Ozzy Smith. They didn't sign him. But that's some pretty good scouting right there from the Detroit sure. Tigers. Yeah. They could use some help with that right now. <laughs> they are in desperate need of some young position talent over there. Whew. I know they got some pitchers coming through the pipeline. Yeah, it's going to be years for them. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a long Riley time. Green. Um, but yeah, no, they're going to, it's going to be some time for them for sure. All right. Well, 1989 uh, looks like the best year potentially for the Cleveland Indians in terms of their drafting. And you can ask, well, why is that? Well, how about some value? How about the value of a 13th round selection from Illinois Central Junior College shortstop at the time with the high socks? Jim Tomey. How about that? When you get a 13th round selection there, that's pretty good. Also, in the 17th round, they took a guy named Brian Giles who turned out to be a pretty darn good player, too, obviously more or less with the Pittsburgh Pirates. But still, that's a pretty good draft right there. Jim Tomey in the 13th round. It's always shocking to me when you get Hall of Famers that last that long. And Jim Tomey, one of the great power hitters in the steroid era. And, you know, most people look at him as a very legitimate power hitter. Uh, he is part of the 500 home run club, correct? I'm, I'm yes. not misspeaking there. I, I remember him getting to that. College. I think I remember a little bit of third base for him. Third base is where I saw I saw Jim Tomey play in person one summer in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, because the Mets affiliate double A was there. So I got to see Jeremy Burnitz, DJ Dozier, and some guy that I thought's name was Thome, who had the high socks. And I was like, I like this guy, Thome, with the high socks. This guy mashes, man. This guy's going to be good. Uh, I didn't know how to pronounce his name, obviously, at the time, and neither did the uh, the announcer at the ballpark. So it looks like Thome. So you said Thome. But I remember the high socks, and I remember this guy just absolutely just crushing balls during the game. So uh, let's move on to the Minnesota Twins here. 
1989, uh, pretty good year. First round pick for them, Chuck Knobloch. And I know Yankee fans want to make Chuck Knobloch jokes, but Chuck Knobloch was a pretty good player, including Rookie of the Year Award in 1991. People forget. In the fourth round, they had Scott Erickson in that draft as well. They also drafted Marty Cordova, who ended up being a pretty solid contributor for them, and Mike Trombley. So Erickson had some really good years for the Twins, so did Knobloch in that kind of remake of the Minnesota Twins, the, the you know, post uh, you know, Kirby Puckett-ish era as we kind of turned the page into the Tory Hunter era and so on and so forth. Yeah, and Knobloch was a really underrated player for a long time. Everyone, unfortunately, remembers him for not being able to throw to first base, but he was a fantastic hitter with the Twins. And, uh, and look, you know, some New York is not for everyone, and I think that Knobloch was probably one of those guys. Had he stayed in Minnesota or went somewhere else, we could be talking about a guy with 2,000, 2,500 hits, uh, but certainly a really good player at his time. No question. And really yeah. good with and for the White Sox, finally, 1990, I think you could say it was the best draft just from a bulk standpoint. A lot of guys that played in the big leagues. Ray Durham was their fifth round pick. He was a pretty good second baseman then for a few years. Alex Fernandez uh, was their first pick number four overall. Certainly for a few years there, he was their ace. Uh, Bob Wickman in that draft and James Baldwin as well. Uh, also, uh, righty Jason Bure, who pitched for a few years as well. So, I mean, you could argue the 1970 draft with Goose Gossage and Bucky Dent. You could argue 1998 with Mark Burley and Aaron Rowan. But I don't know. I think I think when you're talking about Alex Fernandez, Ray Durham, I remember all those guys coming up and playing. And I think when you're an organization, what you're looking for in the draft is, can we draft major leaguers? Are these guys going to contribute at the major league level? And I think if you can hit in one draft on two or three, let alone four or five, I think that's the best draft of your organization, or, uh, you know, unless you're drafting George Brett or Mike Schmidt or all-time great players. Yeah, well, I look, the White Sox, people forget, ended up winning a World Series with a lot of draft picks. It's They're like the one team in the last 20 years that people forget actually won that thing uh, many years ago. But look, when you're when you're taking players like this and hitting on so many of these players during this time, I think it's pretty obvious why they ended up winning. But, uh, you know, Ray Durham, a very underrated player yes, uh, for a long time there. Bob Wickman actually was a pretty good closer for a, a short period of time as well. And Beret made a lot of starts. So uh, no argument with that. And Alex Fernandez, too, ended up winning yeah. a World Series. Not with them, but with the, uh, with the Marlins. And look, Ale when Alex Fernandez started pitching, everyone thought he was a, a bona fide Hall of Famer, too. But unfortunately, he had a lot of injuries that derailed his career. Yeah, unfortunately. But that's the AL Central, and that's how she wrote. And uh, again, the draft is not an exact science, but I know coming up next, we'll be looking at the National League Central version, and I'm excited for this one. There's some good names here in that one coming up as well. All right, so we'll hit on that next, and then we'll head on over to some NFL props, courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook. Actually, we're going to switch on over to DraftKings, so stay tuned. More fantasy sports today coming your way right after the break. You're watching Craig and Joe. Don't go away. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. Craig and Joe here with you. Coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to get back into our discussion 
of some NFL props over-unders in the NFL. You may be surprised with a couple of the players that we're going to dive into today, so stick around. That's coming up next. Joe and I have been focused a lot on the June draft. It's coming up next week, June the 10th. It'll be five rounds for Major League Baseball. Unfortunately, for a lot of the kids out there who had success, uh, some of them may not be taken this year, and it's really unfortunate when you look at it because there are a lot of players that are going to be taken, specifically in this draft, um, that... You know, if, if they would have slipped, they wouldn't have been taken at all. And you look in the past, you look at history, Joe, and one of the best players in the history of baseball in Albert Pujols was taken nowhere near the first five rounds of this draft. Somebody is going to get an undrafted free agent Hall of Famer this year. I think it's safe to for say. 20 that's, grand. That's yeah. for 20 grand. And that's a shot of that, for sure. I don't know who that's going to be, but it's going to be somebody because that's the nature of this beast. I mean, we've seen Hall of Famers go very late. You mentioned Pujols. We'll talk about him in a second here. But it happens all the time anyway, and now we're talking about now you. It's not just uh, right, except for the Mets. Well done, Brett. Well done. <laughs> yeah, the Mets are not going to do it. Like, they, they're not. That's not going to happen. But what is going to happen? They traded is, their draft pick from a couple of years ago. <laughs> right. Well, what is going to happen is it's going to be the wild, wild west, though, because now that basically scouting departments can go after whoever they want after these drafts are over, it's going to be fascinating how many teams are super aggressive on that market. Uh, is this an opportunity, I guess, maybe this is a big meta question for some of these small market teams to really kind of stockpile or restock? We just talked about the Tigers as a team you said is a couple years away. Is this an opportunity for them to kind of be really aggressive and try their best to convince and bring in, I know it's only 20 grand, but some of this raw talent and see if they can hit on a couple people? Well, I mean, the Tigers do. So, yeah. um, you know, hopefully for them. But I, I think it goes without saying that, we're, we're headed do down a path with this draft and with the minor leagues. It's a very big unknown. And as unclear as this whole baseball season has been, the minor leagues are even more unclear. So we'll just have to see how it plays out. Yes, one thing at a time. But we can see how the Reds draft uh, played out, especially the best one. 1965, it was actually the first pick in the first ever draft, but it wasn't Johnny Bench. He did go in the second round to the Reds. Again, another Hall of Famer. It seems like the second round. That's the sweet spot. George Brett, Mike Schmidt, Johnny Bench. I mean, those are three of the best players that ever played the game at their respective position. All second round picks. Even Cal Ripken, right? We talked about him. Right. Second round pick yesterday. We talked. What's going on, man? I want to be. We should all pay attention to the second round. Forget the first round. Second round's where it's at. Uh, the first pick, I don't know if you know who this was, but it was Bernie Carbo, who, of course, later had uh, some uh, some moments there that uh, uh, for the Red Sox, I believe, right? Bernie Carbo ended up playing on the other yeah. end of the 75 World Series against the Reds. Also, Hal McRae was part of uh, this draft as well, but even though his best years were with the Royals, he did contribute to the Big Red Machine. However, 1965, Johnny Bench, a guy that revolutionized catching, also revolutionized the glove of a catcher. That single-hinged glove was something that did not come around until Johnny Bench and uh, basically was the prototype for the hitting, slugging catcher that we kind of see today. Yeah, and, and look, Johnny Bench and what he did for catching is just incredible. Mm -hmm. um, the way that he was able to just, you know, receive the ball, you know, changed the way that a lot of catchers did. And look, he was good throwing out guys as well. But uh, as a receiver, that's where he really began. And we didn't start even looking at pitch framing until the late 90s into the 2000s. But he was, uh, you know, somebody like Yadier Molina who really, you know, perfected that. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the Cubs here in 1984. And uh, Chicago... Uh, they had the number three overall pick. They took a guy from a lot of uh, failed Morehead picks on State, the Cubs, that's for sure. left-hander Drew Hall. 
But uh, that didn't work out. But lucky for them, they did take a couple other pitchers in this draft. Uh, one of them was a Nevada high school pitcher named Greg Maddox. They took in the second round. There's a trend here, boys and girls. And uh, a lefty from St. Joseph's named Jamie Moyer. Now, between Greg Maddox and Jamie Moyer, they had 624 major league wins. That is pretty incredible when you think about it. 161 of those were for the Cubs. Uh, but I think when you look back, you could say that is a pretty incredible draft. Uh, now, 84-85 back-to-back years, uh, they did draft Rafael Palmero and Mark Grace, so that's pretty good as well. But, I mean, Greg Maddox, second round again, and Jamie Moyer, who went on to pitch forever, he might still be pitching right now. Nobody told him that there's no baseball. He's out there in the mountain somewhere still pitching. But uh, that's a pretty Probably good one so. in 1984 for the Cubs. you think the Cubs would have had a different path if they had been able to hang on to Greg Maddox? Um, I mean, I don't think so. I I think that, look, this was a good draft that you found. But in general, uh, they did not do well in, in the draft through the years. Many, many years of, of poorly drafting players. And certainly you could look through hundreds of players and pick out a few. But they just, they, they didn't do a good job with scouting. They didn't do a good job with development. And this even went on in the, in the 90s and in the 2000s, uh, really, until... Uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, Jim Hendry there, of course, but, you know, Theo Epstein took over and looking for a different sort of player. But they were always taking these toolsy uh, type guys. Uh, everyone always wanted to make a Cubs prospect good, if you remember, too. And that almost was never the case. Yeah. Again, the other one you could make a case for 85, Palmero and Mark Grace, pretty good. You know, I can't remember who they traded Palmero for off the top of my head. But I remember th- as a kid going, wow, I can't believe they traded Rafael Palmero. He seemed like he was going to be a really good player. And I can't remember who the piece was that they thought was going. It was one of those moments there. It is a little trivia. Maybe you or Brett could help me with. But for the life of me off the top of my head was we're sitting here, couldn't figure it out. I know we're going to move on in a second here. But uh, if you get the name, let me know. Uh, The Pirates, 1985 draft, pretty darn good. Top four picks that year all went on to successful big league careers, uh, highlighted by Barry Larkin. But the number five overall pick was Kurt Brown. Never made it to the big leagues. Uh, And then the Pirates drafted Barry Bonds out of Arizona State. So, obviously, Barry Bonds... That's, well, job well done. Very easy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but obviously, Barry Bonds, we know there, war is 50.3 for his career. Uh, actually, no, with the Pirates, his war was 50.3. Pardon me. Uh, two NL MVPs with the Pirates before, obviously, those incredible years with San Francisco. Say what you will. I know everybody always thinks of him as a San Francisco giant, but I remember Barry Bonds far too well as a Met fan growing up in the uh, early 90s, just pounding, pounding on the New York Mets. Uh, him and Benia and that whole team with Spanky, Mike Lavalier, and uh, Felix Fermin and Jose Lind and all those guys. So uh, Barry Bonds doesn't get better than that. Did you find the name for Palmero? Yeah, it was uh, Mitch Williams was the main guy it in was the deal. Mitch Williams, that's right, from Texas. That's who it was. I guess, oh. I mean, look, at the, at the time, they really, you know, emphasized the closer position. So I guess that was... I suppose that that was part of it. But of course, Mitch Williams, even from the Cubs, um, you know, he went on to have great years in Philadelphia too. So a yeah, really good pitcher, but yeah, but uh, not, not the position player that Rafael Palmero turned out to be. Uh, that's for sure. That would, that, that would be Texas. the case for sure. And it was tough too, because he was kind of playing out of position there because grace was at first. So he had kind of stuck him in the outfield. And they didn't know what to do with him. And I guess the rest is history. As they say, let's go on yeah. to the brewers and 1986, uh, these two guys were pretty good. One of them is a borderline Hall of Famer. Uh, unfortunately, neither of these guys really had a lot of great moments with this team. It's the 1986 Brewers draft, and they took Gary Sheffield with the number six overall pick, followed by uh, Greg Vaughn 
later on in the secondary phase of the draft. So Greg Vaughn, people forget, that was a legit power bat. This is a guy who hit 50 bombs one year for the Padres, an incredible power hitter, had so many injuries, so many, so much trouble staying on the field. But it's amazing to imagine if Gary Sheffield and Greg Vaughn had really stuck together on the Brewers and played up to expectations when they were in Milwaukee, how different those years for the Brewers would have been in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, I was a big Greg Vaughn fan. I think I probably have a lot of his rookie cards somewhere. Oh, future star Greg Vaughn. You remember that one with the like the stripe going under the top? I mean, what was not to like about that guy? 30 home runs. I mean, you thought I mean, and look, you look, Gary Sheffield ended up having a wonderful career. It's just that, you know, he moved around so much. And, and yeah. yeah, I mean, the Brewers really just for whatever reason didn't like him or didn't want to put up with him. Uh, but he was, uh, you know, almost a triple crown winner with the Padres. He was great well, also Sheffield started out as what shortstop, then third baseman, yeah. had a lot of trouble right. throwing the ball to first base. If you recall, there was a lot. That was the problem with Sheffield. He didn't want to move off the positions, but he kept throwing the balls in the stands. <laughs> and that was that was not endearing. Can't do that. I heard. I heard he can't do that. And uh, last, you know, eventually he does move into the outfield, and uh, you know, he becomes the kind of player that we've seen. Also in that draft, by the way, in the eleventh round, Daryl Hamilton who was a pretty good player for the Brewers and for the Mets and a few other franchises. I always liked Daryl Hamilton. He was kind of a, he was a role-playing outfielder, but still a guy that you can really, you know, kind of plug in there, professional baseball player. little shout-out for Daryl Hamilton. And that brings us to the St. Louis Cardinals, 1999, Albert Pujols. He's now 40 years old. Uh, he's entering his 20th big league season, still going strong got a career 300, 379, 549 slash. With, I mean, that's that's pretty darn good right there. That's uh, doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, and really, uh, you know, for fantasy sort of, you know, in that online fantasy baseball era became the perennial first pick overall in the draft and, and really is one of those very few guys that I'll remember in fantasy and in reality that came out of nowhere. Like, he basically... Uh, you know, Tony LaRusso won spring training essentially before the season said he's going to be a Hall of Famer before he ever played a game. And people were like, what in the world is this guy talking about? And and he was like, I, I mean, uh, in this day and age where we know about every single prospect that comes up to the big leagues before they hit, like there oh, is yeah. one, ma there's, there's a Max Muncy and then there's 500 guys that we knew about. Like Muncy mm -hmm. was a guy we didn't know about. Right. Pujols is in that category of. He just he, it just happened for him. And we didn't know about, no, and no now he's sitting on, and he's sitting on 656 home runs. I mean, Crazy. just just take we'll that in 700. for a second. Yeah. Just take that in for a second. The guy has 656 home runs and 3,200 hits. I mean, I, I I actually had to stop and kind of do a double take and say, is that really where Pools has had it for all these years? Yeah. Those those are incredible numbers. I mean, the guy was the best hitter in baseball. He's must see at bats for those years in uh, in St. Louis. And and I think everybody knew when he signed that contract to the Angels that it was going to get ugly at the end. It got uglier in the middle, <laughs> unfortunately, I think that people wanted sure. to realize. But look, I mean, when all is said and done, 656 home runs for a 13th round selection with 3,202 hits. This is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Who's the guy who's not going to vote for Albert Pujols? That's who I want to know. Also in this draft in 99 okay. for the Cardinals, Coco Crisp. Not a bad little player as well. Coco had some good years for the A's and for a couple other teams as well. But yeah, man, hang on to him. Yeah, 15-year yeah. career for Coco. Not too not too shabby there. I think with the Indians, probably some good damage there. But Albert Pujols, 13th round, 
man, that's a pretty good draft. <laughs> He's going to end up playing longer for the Angels than he did for the Cardinals. I mean, it's, un- it's oh. unthinkable, but it's true. Well, he's still a Cardinal in the Hall of Fame. Sorry. I mean, that's that's not even close, right? World Series titles. Of, of course it's not even close, but it's ironic that it is ironic. the majority of his career is going to be spent there. I never even thought about that. It's, like, that's... Your, it's like your guy, Adam Vinatieri. Yeah. Well, he's a, he's a, he's a cold. Well, I mean, really? He's spend more time with the Colts. That's crazy. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll take a quick time out on fantasy sports today. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon.